And welcome back to From the Bar. As always, Ife on the line. And this is Olamide. So Olamide, before we get into our very interesting episode with our special guest, I'm going to ask you, Alpha, anything happened in court today? Nothing happened in court, to be honest. Uh, like this week was one of those weeks that would just run smoothly. I didn't have any issues with any courts, any registrars. Everybody just behaved themselves this week. So all the judges sat on time. There was light. You had seats to yeah. sit down. Well, the, the time thing, I'm used to the time thing already. So, like, it's not really a big deal for me anymore. But, like, it was pretty easy in court this week. How about you? Guys, I'm still waiting for this anointing. Olamide has in litigation to flow down to me. To be fair, mine was also pretty uneventful. The only thing I'll say is I thought... I was supposed to have Friday off. And then Thursday, 9 p.m., I got a call from one of my guys that I'm in court on Friday. So that was my um, less than exciting Friday. But other than that, that was really it for me in court this week. Oh, yeah. You know, there's this in the Court of Appeal does where they send you a hearing notice like two days before the matter. And you're like, ah. Uh-uh. This matter has not come up for almost two years. Why are you sending me a hearing notice now? And I have to start running up and down. It's actually really funny. And it's actually something that I really hold deep in my chest. Because I don't understand. My matter has not come until 2019. It's now three days beforehand. You want to tell me on Friday that my matter is coming up on Monday. How do you know I filed my brief? Is it good <laughs> or wrong now? Uh, yeah. So, like if I mentioned, we have a guest today. Um, he's a barrister all the way from England. And he was our colleague for some time. Uh, I was on secondment at the law firm we're working. His name is Ololade. So I would just pass the button to him now to introduce himself. Barista Ololade coming up on the mic. <laughs> Thanks, Ife and Olamide. Uh, my name is Ololade Sharami. I'm a barrister practicing at the Bar of England or Wales. Uh, I practice from a chambers called Five Paper. And my principal areas of practice are property and commercial law. Um, commercial tends to be a nebulous term, so I'll break that down slightly. Uh, I do banking and finance litigation, insolvency litigation, general contractual commercial disputes, uh, and some company and partnership uh, disputes as well. I am um, also the vice chair of an organization called the British Nigeria Law Forum. It's a bilateral organization. Uh, that has a presence in both uh, England and Wales and uh, Nigeria. Uh, and the aim of the forum is to essentially create a space for lawyers in both jurisdictions to share ideas and best practices and also to create opportunities for lawyers in both jurisdictions, um, both career and business development opportunities. So that's my bio. Guys, nebulous terrible. We're not just teaching you law. We're also teaching you English <laughs> as from the bar. Yeah, but you should gauge that bio, really. Just gauge the bio alone. <laughs> ah, then you understand why we're using big SAT words here. Well, Lani, so you told us, you know, everything I've been hearing, England, England, England. So my next question is, you know, the elephant in the room. I mean, what has brought you into the trenches with us? You know, everybody is looking for how to exit out. All I did is uh, he's, he's entering in. <laughs> Is that something we don't know? <laughs> As in, uh, for the longest time, I've been Nigeria facing. Uh, I'm I'm Nigerian, obviously. My name gives that away, and uh, I, I was born here. And I've always wanted an opportunity to spend more time here and to experience the professional side of life here in Nigeria, especially the legal professional market, um, the professional legal market, I should say. And um, when I was, I think, 
just under two years uh, in practice, uh, I discovered a scheme called the Pegasus Scholarship, uh, well, it's not a scheme, but it's a trust, the Pegasus Scholarship Trust. And this trust operates a scheme um, where you can apply to, uh, to the trust for funding for various placements at international lead, uh, leading lead international legal organizations. And there are, they have a number of schemes set up already going to you know, places like Singapore, Hong Kong, um, Bermuda, you know, those uh, British overseas territories, and other great jurisdictions like New Zealand, and even Dubai. Um, but they also have the option of you creating your own scheme and then applying to the scholarship for funding. And that's what I did. And I thought it was a great way to uh, scratch the itch I'd, I, I have held for some time uh, to experience Nigeria. So I did that. Uh, and that's what brought me here. So people are getting scholarship to go to Canada. And people are getting scholarship to go to Dubai. And New Zealand. I don't know how they got scholarship <laughs> to go to Nigeria. I, I absolutely love it. But there's something you said. You said you were talking about how you felt when you were two years into Olamide and I notoriously call ourselves baby lawyers. We're in our third year of practice. How long have you been practicing? Um, I've been on my feet since pupillage uh, for four years now. Well, it will be four years in September. Um, as If I included the year of pupillage, it would be five um, but I've been called since 2015, so I'm I'm in my seventh year of court. Ah, okay. Olamide and I were called in. Well, let me not um, take a, uh, disclose our age, so you won't know how baby we are. But to be fair, by the time you do the math, <laughs> it's quite clear. So, um, talking about scratching the age and everything, and also I know, um, off offline, like all of that, you've told us about, you know coming to Nigeria a lot and everything, but would you say this extended time you spent, especially working and not just enjoying, hopefully, what are there any culture shocks you've experienced that you're like, okay, whoa, I wasn't expecting this, or just your general experience in Nigeria, non-law related, because we will get into the legal differences in a bit. If I'm being, you know, if I'm to be completely honest, there hasn't really been a culture shock. So no last mile on the road, just jumping in front of your car. <laughs> so, or you see people with sirens and they are just blaring their sirens mindlessly in traffic. But to be fair, Olade has said that he's not, you know, he's a Niger boy. In fact, actually, Olade is an Ijebu boy. <laughs> so I understand that maybe you're obviously very comfortable with Nigeria, but just looking at it from a working person perspective... Has there been anything that's come up in these two months that you're like, oh, okay, I wasn't expecting that. Everything's just been smooth sailing. And it's okay, or you can say the latter. We won't beat you. It, it, well, it hasn't been smooth sailing in so far as, you know, there are difficulties everywhere. And some of the difficulties I've experienced here, I didn't necessarily anticipate. Well, perhaps not anticipate is the right uh, terminology. Um, I... So, for example, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry to use this example, but for example, when I came here to Lagos, um, I was pleasantly surprised by how, um, not modern, modern is not the right word, but um, how London-like things can be. Wow, guys, we're moving up in the world. Uh, like no, I, I genuinely was. Um, and I was pleased to see that because I intentionally came with no expectations. 
and, and that's not, don't misconstrue that. The reason why I chose to come with no expectations is because when you say, like, if, when you say I'm going to uh, Nigeria for two months, you know, people start to say stuff like, oh, you know, be careful or you're going to, they start to say really negative things, uh, which is, n which I don't, you know, subscribe to. So I decided to, you know, come with no expectations and the things that I've seen have been generally great. But like you said, I'm an Ijabu boy and not too long ago, I spent three whole months in, in Ijabu day. So um, that was a culture shock at, at that time. So having experienced that, coming to Lagos wasn't really a culture shock. It was just amazing. It was like the halfway house between being in London and <laughs> being in Jabodi. Yeah, so, I can't, so we are giving uh, Olade that uh, London to Lagos, Lagos to London feel. Although, to be fair, when Olade was telling me about the three months he spent in Jabodi, me, myself, as an Ijebu girl, I was starting <laughs> to feel bad because I haven't been there in over a decade. So clearly, I need to see my way around as well. You actually need to see your way around. Please, I'll be boy. Get off my mind. Yeah, but um, you, know, you mentioned something. Um, you said one year. Okay, you when you're trying to give us the number of years you've been in practice, mm. you had mentioned uh, pupillage. So like that that ex that's a term that I think is common to England. Mm. So um, could you just give us um, a brief background of um, what the difference is between practice in England and Nigeria? the differences you have noticed mm. from practicing here. I will also just step in and say that, you know, um, most of us are probably aware that in England, there's a slightly different way that they practice, whereby you're either qualified as a barrister or oh, you're qualified yes. as a solicitor, unlike in Nigeria, yeah. where we have a merged practice. And then even if you only ever go to court, you're still a solicitor and vice versa. You can never go to court for 30 years and decide that you want to put on wig and gown. But it's a little bit different in England. So... Joining my voice to Alameda is, you know, what's it like, you know, just being a core practice barrister and what are those differences you've seen, you know, spending the two months with us at the firm. Yeah, so we're not the real barristers, like, barristers and solicitors of the Supreme Court. But Olade is a barrister, so, yeah. I, I suppose there are many differences, so I'll just focus on a few. But the main difference is the fact that the profession here in Nigeria is a fused one. So you are a barrister and solicitor of the Supreme Court of Nigeria. Is that correct? That's the right phraseology? Yes, yes, you're correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, whilst uh, in, in England and Wales, you're, you can qualify as either a barrister or a solicitor. Um, you can you know, transition between both, but you can never do, as far as I understand the rules, you can't be both and practice as both at the same time. Um, you have to separate them. Uh, so that, that's the fundamental difference. Uh, but that also leads to other things. So, for example, everyone essentially operates from a firm of some sort, although I understand that some people classify themselves as chambers. I, I think that's to indicate that they principally do advocacy and the barrister type of work. Right? Uh, no, is that incorrect? Yes, it's, it's just a title. It's just part it's of the name. It's just a title. A lot of people don't, like, a lot of lawyers or quite a number of lawyers actually do not know what it, um, the term chambers would signify okay. if you were in another jurisdiction. Okay. So here we use it loosely, same okay. way you use barrister loosely. Or the same way people say and co, but it's only them in their firm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, right. no shots being fired. <laughs> All right, fair enough. But substantively, what they do is the work of a solicitor and a barrister, whether or not they call themselves a law firm or a chambers. Exactly. And so that's fundamentally uh, different. 
Um, the other difference that I've noticed is that you know in he- every hearing you guys wear the wig and gown. Yeah. Uh, we've left that in uh, certainly in the civil jurisdiction um, out for you know for most of the cases uh, we don't wear the wig and gown. We only really do it wear the wig and gown in open court when we're in open court. So basically, you're telling me that it's the jurisdiction that has AC and cool air. That you cannot wear wig and gown, <laughs> but it's the way they didn't put lights that I'm sweating. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Yeah. Okay, so you said open court. Like, what exactly does that signify? Because for us, everything, once you are before a judge, it's open court yeah. in Nigeria here. Well, there are uh, some hearings that, well, a lot of hearings, especially in the lower courts, in particular the county courts, uh, occur in chambers, what we call in chambers. And it doesn't necessarily have to be within the judge's chambers. You can be sitting in a courtroom, but the hearing can be in chambers in the sense that it's not open to the public to just walk in and uh, and w- observe the hearing so what kind of cases are those that are not open to the public because in nigeria yeah. i mean and, and that's number one ground of appeal <laughs> if you get anything the, the person is going to appeal because i think that there's a section of our constitution that says that all um, court hearings must be in public and it's yeah. been interpreted to mean that everyone must have access to it yeah yeah um so uh, as far as I can recall, I think it's in the civil procedure rules, I think it's in part 39 that talks about um, w- the distinction between in-chambers and, and, and open court hearings. Uh, and as, as far as I can recall, and actually this was very important to me at some point in time when I was a solicitor advocate prior to obtaining pupillage and then starting practice as a barrister, um, th- such hearings tend to be those that concern you know, very personal um, information about the uh, litigants. Um, so, for example, infants, what we call infant settlement hearings, where it concerns finalizing some sort of uh, settlement that has been reached in relation to protected um, individuals like children and also protected parties, those who have, for example, mental health issues, etc. Um, and also, you know, matters concerning, you know, very personal financial information. Those types of hearings are dealt with in chambers, for example, mortgage possessions are generally dealt with in in, in chambers. So you mentioned something about being a solicitor advocate before you got pupillage. Um, Mm. How did that work? Did you qualify as like a solicitor first or? Oh, so I was a, a, did I say solicitor advocate? Yes. Is that the term I use? Yes. Okay. Okay, so I picked up on um, Lola Day's slip of tongue then. Uh, Yeah, I I was a county court advocate, so a solicitor's agent. Okay, what does that what does that mean? It's a it's a so basically we the act that governs rights of audience in the UK um, essentially sets out certain exceptions where somebody who hasn't completed a training contract or a pupillage can essentially go to court and do some advocacy. But most of that advocacy, if not all of that advocacy, is supposed to be in chambers and not in open court. But in order to be able to do that, you have to be supervised by a solicitor and it has to be um, uh, a certain type of work, essentially. So I was doing that uh, for about uh, 10 months uh, in order to gain some advocacy experience to make me more attractive as a prospect for pupillage. Okay, so differences we've heard obviously about the fact that it's not a fused practice. We've heard about the fact that they don't have to wear wigan gown all the time. We've heard about the fact that you know it's not you can have certain matters that are not in open court. I mean, a lot of day, what would you say are the other key differences? I mean, I think there's also something to be said about pupillages as well. I mean, that difference. Yeah, like if you could just go over the 
process. Actually. Yeah, the actual yeah. process. And because I guess yeah. in what? that as well, something will emerge as the differences between, you know, being a barrister and a solicitor in England itself. And there's one thing I can say is for here, um, you go to a university, you get your LLB degree and you proceed to the law school. You do your one year in law school and you're called to the Nigerian bar. So like the process here is pretty straightforward, mm. but it seems like the process in England is a lot more um, structured and I, I don't want to use the word complicated, but mm. yeah. Use from, the word. Okay. Yeah, from, from a Nigerian perspective, it seems to be a lot more complicated. Uh, structured is the right word, I think, because what I've experienced about Nigeria and the training process is that, like you've said, you go to uh, university, then you go to bar school, then you're called, and then you can practice at a firm um, as an associate. There's no formal uh, or structured training process um, that you have to go through as an entry-level lawyer to start practicing as a lawyer in this jurisdiction. Although, of course, firm, different firms may have their own internal training structured, but it's not a requirement for every new entry into the profession. It's different in the UK. So if you want to be a solicitor, everyone has to do an LLB degree. Or if you didn't do an LLB degree, you have to convert whatever degree you've done into a qualifying law degree by essentially doing a GDL, so the Graduate Diploma in Law, which is one year long. Um, and then you, that you would go to law school where you would either do what used to be called the uh, LPC, I think it stands for Legal... Uh, legal Practitioner's legal Course. Practitioner's course, yeah. And the BPTC, Bar Professional Training Course, which is what you do to become a barrister. But legal training in England and Wales has changed and has gone a, a lot of uh, reform recently. So I won't get into that yet, but I'm just talking, I'm just giving an overview of the process. And once you've done you know, those courses, you then, if you're going down the barrister stream, search for pupillage, or you should have been searching earlier than that anyway, um, you need pupillage, which is a, uh, well, technically pupillage is a six-month-long period, but you need two six-month-long periods uh, to have a qualifying uh, period of pupillage. Um, so the first six months is a uh, non-practice in six months where you essentially shadow members of chambers or your pupil supervisors uh, in particular, and you would help them with their, with their workload essentially, uh, and they essentially train you. And then the second six months is a practice in six months where you're still covered by a supervisor or supervisors, and then you get to go to court. You do you know, hearings in the county court, etc. You're actually doing paid work. So that's, that's pupillage for you. And once you've completed pupillage, you then need to apply for tenancy at a particular chambers. Um, and that's the process of essentially becoming a barrister and, and, and practicing. Uh, but even if you don't get a tenancy at the chambers at which you've trained, you would still be, so long as you've com successfully completed pupillage, you would still be a fully fledged barrister and you can start practicing in, in your own capacity. Um, as a, to become a solicitor, you would, after doing the LPC, you would then get a training contract, and, and that's two years long, uh, which, uh, as I understand it, is split up into various seats, usually four, six-month seats over two years at, at the uh, relevant firm. Uh, and once you've completed that, then I think you actually have to apply for a job within the firm or elsewhere to, uh, well, to have a job once you've done your training. But as I understand it too, once you've completed the training contract, you're already a, you're a solicitor and you're, I think you, your, your name gets put on the role of solicitors or something like that. Um, so that's, that's how that process works. Yeah, so like Olade had said, so I went to university 
in England. And all my life, I've known that I wanted to be a barrister, right? So I have thought, okay, I'll definitely go to the barrister course in England. And I think it was my second year of university when I found out that barristers in England, first of all, you don't have, my understanding is you don't have as much client contact as solicitors. And then secondly, and the real center for me was finding out that you are pretty much independent. So whereas in Nigeria, you have obviously your many, many law firms that can, I can mention, big, medium, and small, and they're all barristers working together, but anyway, they're still any salary. But in England, you're really a one-man shop, and you're just sharing a building and sharing a clerk. And it was in that moment, I knew I could never <laughs> be a barrister in England, and I immediately faced my mind to that solicitor track, at least as far as working in England was involved. Obviously, I... I came back to, to, this, to this beautiful country. But Olade, can you tell us a bit more about, you know, that whole independence of being a barrister and just, you know, how that works and having clerks and all those things? Yeah, I can. Um, I, I, I love practicing at the bar um, and I love being a barrister. Um, you know, 80% or around, around 80% of the English bar is made up of self-employed barristers and funny you should use the word independence because we're referred to as the independent bar um and so that essentially means that <laughs> how do i what's the best way to put it you you eat what you kill in the sense that you have to go and find work and you have to do that work and you know you're only going to get repeat instructions based on well, essentially how well you've done on your last case or based on your relationship with your instructing solicitors. It's a referral pr profession. So it's important to have you know, good relationships with those who are able to instruct you and business development and networking is essential, even at the very earliest levels. But because you're self-employed, there's a lot of insecurity that comes with that. You don't know where your next meal is going to come from in some cases. Um, so you have to be constantly working hard and the bar is not really a nine-to-five job there's no salary coming what the solicitor's profession is not a nine-to-five job either but what i mean by that is it's more of a vocation because you're self-employed you are essentially largely in control of how your career develops and what your working life is like if you don't want to do very much work you can definitely get away with that but it will reflect in your earnings i think but if you want to do a lot of work you're going to have to you know work very hard for that but you know there are a lot of factors to take into account especially at the junior level because it depends on the kind of chambers you're in how busy you'll be at the er in the early days uh, and if you're if you're at a busy chambers um you get a, you get work because at those early days in those early days you rely a lot on the relationships that you that these more senior members of your chambers have developed over the years um, whilst you learn the art of being a good barrister and learn how to do business development with you know uh, with the assistance of your clerks okay so you said something about i hope i'm not putting you on the spot you said 80 mm. percent of barristers uh, uh, roughly 80 percent mm. making up statistics here are, are generally independent i mean is there another route or everyone's kind of just that's how being a barrister works in england yeah by yourself you have a chain you're in a chamber you, you're eating what you kill it's not salaried the end yeah well there is in the sense that the other 20 percent i'm not sure what the entirety of it is made up of but a large part of that is self-employed being i mean sorry being an employed barrister i.e you can be employed at a law firm or at another relevant organization that has the need for somebody who exercises the skills that a barrister 
um, exercises. So in that scenario, if I'm employed by a law firm, I would be salaried. Okay, would you be able to go to court in that instance? So you would be going to court? I would imagine that most barristers that are employed in-house probably don't go to court. Okay, yes, that's what I was asking, because I know that lawyers in-house in Nigeria, if I'm working at, let's say, Shell or mm. working at a bank, you know, we're not, you can't go to court for your clients. You can't go to court for your employer. For your employer, for your employer. yes. So you can go to court for other matters. Oh, yes, yes, sorry, for your employer you or on your employer's yeah, behalf, but yes. people can still do private practice and everything. I think... Even for law firms too, I know that when law firms have um, cases, like maybe they're involved in disputes, probably you want to recover money from somebody, they most times would instruct another law firm to Yes, yes, yes. Even lawyers that have their own disputes. But I think maybe that's just the optics thing. I suspect there's probably a distinction to be drawn between, uh, and pardon me if I mixed up the, uh, the terms earlier on, between working for uh, a law firm in private practice and working in-house for what may be a client, so for example, a large corporation. In that scenario, I would imagine you probably wouldn't go to court, but if you are working for a law firm in private practice, um, I would imagine that there would be opportunities, but not as many as you probably would get to go to court. So I'm aware, I had a friend who actually, and this is probably a bad example because it's contrary to the point I just made, but it, it is what it is. Uh, he worked for a, uh, a parking uh, company, so they owned many, you know, uh, parking, uh, what do you call them, parking lots, I think that's an American yeah, term. Like garages? Yeah, exactly, I, 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 around um, the, the country, and he worked for them, and he did go to courts, um, because they have a lot of case, litigated cases where people are challenging parking fines, etc., etc., so... Okay, maybe that barrister in a law firm one is my own roots because I can't, I can't be doing it all to kill. But before we move on to another aspect, I just wanted to understand more about that whole having a clerk and like sharing and tenancy, bills and yeah. stuff. I, I think we haven't really gone yes. too deep into the actual like practical logistics of how that independence and demarcation yeah. works when you're sharing a chamber. Well, consider this. If you're self-employed, you would probably work from home you have the cost of you know, running your practice. So for example, you'd have electrical costs, cost of heating, um, you would have cost of printing, phone bills, etc. Um, and you know, uh, what's another example? So if you need a receptionist, you may need to hire one, but it's easier to cluster together with other self-employed barristers who also have those overheads uh, and with whom you share, um, how do I put it, um, similarities in terms of you know what you want for your uh, for your practices. You come together and you essentially rent a building, uh, and then you all pay rent into essentially a kitty, which essentially funds Chambers' um, budget for the year. And it is from that budget that you pay the rent for the building you're operating from, and then you pay your uh, administrative staff, and you pay your clerks who essentially help you with diary management, business development, and other important tasks that are necessary for a barrister to have a good, uh, effective practice. Uh, so that's essentially what it is. You're a bunch of self-employed people coming together under one brand at one location to uh, market yourselves as a cluster of barristers. So at Five Paper, there are about 40 to 45 barristers we have in chambers. We're all essentially self-employed barristers, but we, we work together to share the overheads of practice and do marketing together, etc. 
Okay. You, you know, now I think I have a clearer picture of what practice in England, um, practicing as a barrister in England is. Yeah, definitely. And, and um, my earlier statement about it being uh, complicated, I, I think now I agree with you that it's a lot more structured, mm. in fact. So um, I'll just ask, uh, do you have any advice for people who might want to transition into practicing in England? Because, yes, the, the thing is, um, the, t the type of law we practice in Nigeria is basically fashioned out of what you have in England. That's the, it's the common law, really. So um, knowledge of the law is probably not so different but um, people feel like they can make the move. But now that they'll be moving into a more structured environment. So what advice do you have for persons who want to actually um, practice in England, move from Nigeria and practice in England? I'll even add more to that and just say, again, like I think a lot of what Olamde and I were saying about on the first episode about like human flight. A lot of people are trying to Japan, moving to Canada, moving to the United States, moving to the UK. And for a lot of them, you know, they're planning on leaving legal practice, so going in-house, going into tech, whatever it is. But for people who want to take, you know, their legal skills and they like being a lawyer and they want to be a lawyer in England, specifically, you know, we're talking to the barristers today, you know, what's your advice on making that transition? I'm sure a lot of what you're going to say is already going to be the logistics, like how we went over how you actually become a barrister, pupillage, this and that. But just that Nigerian element. Any any special advice? Um, in terms of advice, I think uh, there are three th principal things I'll say, and I'll try not to go over ground as already that's already been covered. I think the first thing is to be realistic, right? No matter whether or not you want to be a practicing barrister in England and Wales or you want to be a solicitor, you have to be realistic about your objectives and what you're trying to achieve. You have to understand what those are and how you can best go about achieving them. So, f uh, for example, um, you know, law firms are businesses and chambers are businesses too. Uh, so this goes on to my second advice. You have to be able to make a business case for what you're trying to do. Right. So if you want to go to the UK and practice as a solicitor in England and Wales, then you have to ask yourself what makes me, um, well, a attractive. I mean, you can do it for the sake of doing it. So for example, I understand there's a qualified uh, lawyer's transfer scheme that people can participate. Yeah, in. That's there is. That, yes, that's run by, I, I think it's maybe perhaps run by is the wrong term, but I think the, the, the organization that have general oversight of it is the uh, SRA, Services Regulation Authority. Um, there isn't a similar thing at the bar as far as I am aware. Um, and if you went, if you wanted to be, if you went to England and Wales and you wanted to practice as a barrister there, I think you would have to undertake a, per, a period of pupillage. Uh, but I think there may be some concessions in place you would have to liaise with uh, the uh, Bar Standards Board. Uh, but I'm not sure what or any of that entails. But the reason why I say you have to make a business case is that if uh, they need a barrister in chambers, there are plenty of people in the UK that want to become barristers as well. And there is a pool of uh, potential uh, tenants or pupils, depending on what the chambers is looking for. So if you're going to come over and you want to compete, then you have to compete on a basis that makes you unique. 
right? So if, for example, you have a Chambers that wants to, uh, you're practicing in Nigeria, that, that, that wants to, you know, have more presence, uh, I don't know, in Nigeria, or wants to do more Nigeria-related stuff, and you can bring that, then that'd be brilliant. Uh, I know it's easier to do um, in, in the solicitor's profession, especially in a transactional or advisory areas of work, because, uh, well, the, the principles are essentially uh, what the principles related to transactions in many jurisdictions, um, speaking broadly here, are, are generally the same. But when it comes to litigation, that's a bit harder, which means it's a bit harder to transfer or to become to become a practicing barrister in uh, England and Wales as compared to becoming a practicing uh, solicitor in England or Wales. So um, my advice would be that you have to think about the business case because if you want to work for a, for a significant legal organization in, in, in England and Wales, then you have to be able to make the business case to them as to why you are the person that they should be either hiring uh, or be allowing to become a tenant of their chambers once you've done the necessary uh, uh, things that are required for you to be a practicing lawyer in that in England or Wales in that jurisdiction. Uh, and the final thing I would say is that you have to be committed to the cause. Um, it's not it's not good enough to think that you're just going to come over and things are going to run smoothly. Even if rea even with reality and having a business case in mind, it's very tough um, to get a pupillage in England and Wales is extremely tough. And we have to be realistic about that. We have to complete we have to be completely honest about that. Um, uh, I think each year, law schools, uh, was certainly when I did it, were producing between um, 1,000 and 1,500 bar school, uh, well, at least they were accepting between 1,000 and 1,500, you know, uh, people on the BPTC, the bar course, every year, but there, there, there are only, or well, there were only around 300 pupillages available in England and Wales every year, and each barrister's chambers take about one or two, uh, you know, pupils a year, and at the end of that process, that at the end of that one year, you would still need to be considered for tenancy within those chambers. So if the chambers doesn't have the space it thought it would when it took you on or offered you pupillage, um, not, both of you may not get taken on. And in rare instances, sometimes none of them are taken on. Um, but good chambers will assist you to try to get tenancy elsewhere. So it's already fiercely uh, competitive within the domestic market. So if you want to come in as, a, uh, as an international or as somebody with international experience, uh, I think you would have to be able to make the business case for why Chambers should offer you uh, a space in Chambers as opposed to somebody else. And I imagine that the same is true for the solicitor's profession because even though that's larger, uh, my understanding is that there are about 180,000 practicing solicitors in the UK, whilst the bar is about, it's floating around the 17, 16 to 18,000 level, right? So there's, there, there are about one, uh, there's about one barrister to every 10 or 11 <laughs> uh, practicing solicitors. Uh, so uh, the, the training contracts on offer, I think, are, is significantly, uh, the number of training contracts on offer is, is significant, significantly larger when you compare it to, you know, the number of pupillages on offer. I think there's close to about 10,000 going each year. Um, so the competition for, th for that is also tough, you understand, especially at the bigger firms, um, the bigger commercial firms. So uh, you would have to, ex again, make a, make, a, make a business case for why you should be taking on as opposed to somebody else. Wow. That's, that, that's a lot to take in, isn't it? You know, I, I really like the way you structured your advice. It was very directional in the sense that a lot of people want to leave. Yes, 
I understand the frustration of wanting to leave a system that it com- constantly frustrates you. Constantly. But um, if you're leaving, you need to know why you're leaving and what you're going to do wherever you're going to. So I, I really, really appreciate the advice because it, I, it would give people um, an idea of what they want to do or how they can go about it in the event they want to actually come to England to uh, practice as either barristers or solicitors. And I think that we can, on a level, relate to what you were saying about the difficulty and the competition. I mean, even in Nigeria, we're definitely pumping thousands of lawyers. My campus alone had a thousand and uh, one thousand five hundred um, um, candidates for the bar finals. I'm sure your Lagos campus too. You Same. had. So similar. I think it's like three thousand or something lawyers every year that were pumping into the ecosystem. And I mean, what at our firm, it took maybe ten coppers for NYSC. We're thirteen, and I think just. 11 or 10 of us were retained and that's again the kind of numbers you're getting at the big firms but that's just to say that if you think it's hard here and it will be easier in your budus that olalade has said to us barrister olalade has said to us you know think again but olalade thank you so much for your time by the time you guys hear this yeah but before we we go you know we've been calling you barrister olalade is that then actually a thing in england nope it's not it's a thing here oh <laughs> barrister <laughs> the law the law if i ask what i've actually called a lady so you can hear it very well the law <laughs> so the law thank you so much for your time by the time this comes out and by the time you guys hear this lady will be very comfortably back in you know the queensland you know post jubilee and all of that you guys haven't been following it i've been following it you know yay for lizzie but Lolade, you know, is there anything that you want to plug? Anything you want to tell us more about your organization? You know, if you want anybody to be following you on Instagram or the Twitters or just any parting words that you have for us here at the bar. Well, uh, no real plugs um, other than, you know, join the British Nigeria Law Forum. Uh, we have a presence here in Nigeria, certainly an increasing presence here in Nigeria uh, and find out more about what we do. And um, if, you know, there are aspiring lawyers out there who, you know, want to connect, you can feel free to add me on LinkedIn. I'm Olaladi Sharami on LinkedIn. Um, and I don't think there are any parting words. Other than uh, to say that, actually, you said I'll be very comfortable back in the UK, but I've actually been very comfortable here in Nigeria. Like I said, my experience here of Lagos is very different to my experience back in Ijebode. Ijebode was relatively comfortable, but my time here has been really comfortable. So you've heard from Barrister Lolade, the Jebu boy. See, guys, we're not only just bringing you practical advice, we're also bringing you practical, again, not legal advice, so <laughs> just practical advice. We're also bringing you practical networking. So we're just slide into Lolade's LinkedIn DMs and ask him questions until he even tells us to beg you to stop. Exactly, please. And tell him that you're from Dubai. Exactly. They, they recommend, you know, help us, help us sell the market. But we hope that you guys have been enjoying, you know, not just hearing our voices, but also hearing the voices of our guests as well, especially the caliber of guests we have been bringing to you guys. But as always, from Olamide, from I, from Barrister, Ololade, you know, this has been us from the bar. <laughs>